0: This is fundraising radio, and today's guest speaker we have Caitlin Johnson, principal at American Family Ventures. And this episode, we'll talk about this American Family Ventures and also fintech. Fintech is a pretty highly regulated field, as well as insurance. So we'll talk about that, how founders can work in such highly reg- regulated fields, and. Not yet suit. So Caitlin, I'll let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on American Family Ventures.
1: Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you guys a little bit about my background as well as uh, what I do at AmFam. So, um, my background I started my career in medical device engineering of all things. Um, quickly realized that that in and of itself was also a highly regulated environment, um, but kind of got bored with the slow moving pace. And so it really led me to explore other career paths. And that's when I fell in love with the venture capital. So um, I actually, my career. Career path into venture was I first went to get my MBA and then um, was lucky enough to land a job in venture post uh, graduation. And so I've been doing this for the past five years and loving every minute of it. It's it's such a pleasure to get to work with entrepreneurs and founders and people pressing the um, limits of what our technology and capabilities are able to do. So at AmFam Ventures, we're very much so looking for those types of entrepreneurs who, you know, our fund is focused on investing in things that impact the future of insurance. And so we define that as kind of two predominant areas one which is core which is going to be the very obvious um insurance type place so think of mgas such as lemonade which just recently ipo'd um hippo is another big one
0: lemonade ipo'd
1: yes they did they did
0: whoa okay like literally i'm sorry to interrupt you but literally like a week ago i was recalling lemonade and like how i found them out in 2016 and read all those horrible reviews and i was like oh probably that company is already dead uh, I was so wrong. <laughs> no, Sorry, yeah, they, keep going, keep going.
1: They actually IPO'd and they've been performing better than I think the markets and the venture capitalists thought they would. So um, they are sub- substantially up from where they uh, their IPO price was at and uh, and things seem to be going pretty well from them from this transaction. So uh, so definitely one to, to take a look at. Um, and so, so things like Lemonade are totally... Are as brokerages and reinsurance plays, things of that sort, and then there are the adjacencies that either impact the data that you could get to inform insurance, um, software subscription services that get sold into insurers as well as into um, other types of corporations, um, and, and it really runs the full gamut. It, it ends up allowing us to play a little bit more broadly than just the uh, insure tech side of the house.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. So is American Family Ventures like a corporate venture capital or is it like a normal venture capital?
1: We started as a corporate fund back in 2012, but since then have had um, really two evolutions of the fund where we went to a single LP model and now we're um, backed by a syndicate of LPs who are all very invested in the future of insurance. So this ranges from carriers to um, financial institutions, to wealthy individuals, to traditional, um, traditional institutional
0: investors. Mhm. God, and I just keep getting distracted by this lemonade. I just googled them, and it turns out they have a four billion market cap. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, whoa, oh, heck! All right, okay. Um, so let's talk about that then. So, um, how do you find companies like lemonade that you know struggle through the beginning? It felt like they're gonna die. I mean, I took a look at their uh, papers back in 2017 or 2016, and they were low in budget. They had pretty horrible reviews on the internet. People were unhappy. Uh, how, how, how do you find basically companies like Lemonade that managed to go through all the struggles and still survive? Yeah,
1: I mean, look, I think it's a true testament to the founding team and their ability to raise capital, their ability to grow premiums. Um, Lemonade is in a particularly interesting part of the world. So renter's insurance hasn't historically been a very attractive space to play in just because the premiums are low and the customers end up being transient because they either move apartments or they Mm -hmm. end up buying. And so the thought, and really what Lemonade um, disclosed in their S1 is that um, the big bet on them is their ability to transition from a, a consumer from a renter policy into a homeowner policy. So then, and that's where you can end up making a lot of premium. Um, because then once folks are homeowners, they're likely to also be automobile own- owners, and then that's when they start to think about bundling multiple lines, and that's when it can get right. really interesting because you can start compounding those those premiums.
0: Right. I think that was actually a smart move. I actually I saw that, but I didn't pay much attention to that because the reviews on that were horrible as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah. basically I believed people too much, I guess. But anyways, let's talk. Let's go back to American Family Ventures. What stage do you generally invest in?
1: We're an early stage shop, so we're going to be looking at things that you know we've incubated companies before, although we don't regularly do that. Um, but we will invest pre-revenue and pre-product, um, mm-hmm. and will, yeah, and then usually at the high end, we're going to tap out at, at the Series B. Um, but we'll certainly follow on in our portfolio beyond the Series B if we if if you're in um if you're in before then.
0: Mm -hmm. Understood, understood. So let's go back to Lemonade-like companies. So it's a highly regulated field. You have to have, uh, it's pretty capital dense, uh, super complicated miles. Who do you think should try to pursue that? I mean, can a first-time entrepreneur actually do something like Lemonade?
1: You know, we've had this debate on our team internally as to whether what's the better founder archetype to back in the insurance landscape? Is it someone... Mm -hmm has um, an in-depth knowledge of the insurance markets and a keen understanding of, of what to do because it's a playbook that they've run several times within the bounds of a carrier's organization? Or is it somebody who's kind of taking a fresh look at the at the business and I think what we found is that it, it just it is so highly dependent upon the individual you've got folks like Asaf Wand who is the CEO of Hippo who came at insurance um, as a newcomer you know he did not um, have an insurance background and he was able to 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 find a tremendous success within that market um, and then you have folks like um Steve Likas at Branch, um, which is one of our portfolio companies, and he is a long time, um, you know, employee employee of an of an insurer, and um, and he's now off uh, building in, a carrier in the space, and it's really with all of the knowledge that he's gained from his previous experiences that has allowed him to really carve out what hope what we hope will be a successful thesis for branch so um so i think you can find success in in both of those avenues uh mm-hmm. and it do quite well
0: right right you're completely right here and my next question was about fundraising specifically so generally my advice to people is you know who ask me the question like when should I actually start fundraising? My advice is bootstrap until you get, you know, at least some revenue, and then actually go out to uh, you know, venture capital, angel investors, etc. What? How does it work in fintech or insurance? I mean, you can't really get some revenue there uh, because it's so so regulated. What's your advice to those people? When should they start fundraising?
1: totally so if we look at fintech and kind of disaggregate insurtech tech from it um you know i kind of put fintech into two camps it's either going to be some sort of an enterprise SaaS play um or a data play right um or it's consumer like all of the challenger banks, and banks mm-hmm. like robin hoods of the world and wealth fronts of the world that are really focused on on the customer acquisition piece so in in on those businesses um you know, you can do. You can certainly do financing pre-revenue. Um, you just gotta get somebody who believes in the vision, and you need to be. You know, one of the things I struggle with with the challenger banks is that um, a, a differentiated pitch seems to be hard to come by, and so it's tough. It I find it tough to kind of invest. Um, behind a concept, unless the team is the most amazing team I've ever seen, and then you're just placing a bet on on the team um, and hoping that the vision kind of will will come to distinguish itself thereafter. Um, or, you know, the the other side of the house is okay. Um, so now you're going after like the big banks, and you got to get somebody to believe that that solution. Is so either proprietary or well needed um, that they can get behind it without having to have one of these large establishments basically validate the idea by either doing a POC or having some sort of commercial contract so. but those commercial contracts are really hard to come by because as you mentioned several times it's a highly regulated space and you have to go through the compliance and regulatory departments of all of these institutions which can take 6 to 9 months in and of itself um,
0: oh
1: wow yeah so they can it can be you know awfully cumbersome um, to get your, you know, book your first big commercial contract, um, and then sometimes after that, it, it can truly snowball depending on how you've built your your sales pipeline. So I think you know it's really much it's so much about the vision that you're painting, the validation and proof points that you're able to provide, and especially on the consumer front, um, how you're differentiating yourself, and really what your go-to-market strategy is. Do you have some sort of proprietary way or interesting way to get distribution.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So most of my listeners are first time entrepreneurs and I bet some of them just have to work in insurance or I hope that some of them work in insurance. So what would be your advice to someone, let's say not taking like a, you know, not someone who is an executive at uh, you know, State Farm or something like that, what's your advice to those people? How can they validate the idea that's in their head so they see some inefficiency, for example, in their company, but they don't want the management to take all the credit for it and they just want to take to make a separate uh, startup to solve that problem? What's your advice? How should they start this process?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. And... Um... And, and one that we think about a lot. So I think that one of the, the interesting ways you can do that is rarely do I find that people get themselves into necessarily legal trouble because there's so many different types of consultancies or, you know, and regulatory hoops that you need to jump through. So the good news is it's, it's unlikely that you'll have a, an idea out of the gate. And you'll launch it and you'll find out, oh, man, this is highly illegal because there's so many checks and balances <laughs> the way to make sure that you don't find yourself in, in those shoes. Um, so I think it's, you know, first, I, I would always start with friends and family because, look, people don't love buying insurance. It's not something you wake up in the morning and you say, man, I cannot wait to
0: do insurance shopping.
1: <laughs> it's a product that you're yeah. forced to buy um, or you feel like you need to buy um, to provide some sort of protection if things were to go awry. So, um, so first and foremost, people, you know, when they think about ways that their life is enhanced, it's it's not because they have some great insurance policy, and it's not uh, a. You know, the insurance brands are not brands that you interact with um, with high regularity like you would your bank. Um, So I think what's really important is to talk to friends and family and get a sense of, is this the type of product that they would ever think about? for themselves and under which circumstances and if the answer and you know is an overwhelming yes this is much needed um, then I think you start building a board of advisors really that come from well-informed areas without within the insurance market um, who understand both um, kind of the legacy regulations and history about the space as to why this product might not exist today. So you can either learn from the failings of those of, of those who have come before you, or you can understand what hurdles lie ahead. Um, and then, you know, also these people, I like when they have kind of an eye towards towards startups and they can understand, uh, you know, what it's like to be underfunded and, um, and under-resourced, because that's really what all startups are at the end of the day.
0: Right, absolutely. So speaking of resources, I'm getting back to this topic of you know uh, high barriers to entry. It's tough. I've seen, I mean, deep tech, uh, hardware, and all that stuff. It's super high uh, capital density, yeah. and it's really hard to break into those fields. How would you recommend just any founders in that you know high barriers to entry field get in there? I, my personal suggestion would be like try. Uh, some corporate venture capital, maybe they could recommend you some good accelerator or incubator that belongs to a big firm or something like that. What's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I think if we're talking about the insured tech market specifically, um, if you're talking about, you know, access to capital. And what I mean by that is not fundraising capital, but it's access to like, if you're starting when a soft wand was starting hippo, um, he needed, he was an MGA. So he needed a, uh, a fronting carrier who's basically a paper he could write on so that he could be able to legally able to conduct insurance throughout a variety of different States. And um, and then you also need a reinsurance partner. So that way, um, you need to, as an, as an insurance carrier, the state mandates that you have X amount of dollars relative to your premium that you have set aside as reserves. So that way, in case there are catastrophic events or um, losses at a certain rate, right. you have enough money to cover those and basically make good on the insurance you know, policy set people are purchasing from you, um, and that's where a reinsurance partner comes in because it's unlikely that a startup is going to be able to have the amount of dollars that's needed for balance sheet capital that uh, a large carrier will have. Um, and a reinsurance partner will help take on those losses uh, in in order to um, to offset that, so that the the insure tech can kind of grow um, without having to deal with. Um, those pain points and so at least initially and so uh, but getting front a fronting carrier um, and a reinsurance partner is no small feat and and it is actually quite challenging so um i think you know if, if you're thinking about going the MGA and kind of insurtech route it would be to think through, you know, what type of partnerships you need to put in place and what type of proof points do you need to have to prove to these partners that you guys are worthy of their partnership. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a terrible thing. Like accelerators, like plug and play um, tech stars. They have, you know, ensure tech focused tracks that uh, can get you connected with the right advisors and um. And the right folks, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Generator, which is another accelerator. They're based out of the Midwest. Um, it's one that American Family Ventures ha- has backed, um, and I think they do a great job. They've got they've got a lot of tremendous companies that come out of that program as well. So I think all of those are worthy of a, of a look, um, and can kind of get you off on the right foot. Uh, they'll really more so help you with the tooling around how to get a startup of ground versus insurance specific um, guidance. But um, nonetheless, I think all of that can be tremendously valuable as a first time entrepreneur.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like we're getting too deep into the tech here, reinsurance, insurance MJMA, uh, all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> let's get back to the more general stuff and let's talk more about American Family Ventures. So let's start with the simple question. What's your role there as a principal? What do you do?
1: Yeah, so um, my job, I, I kind of put it into three or three to four buckets. Um, one, I'm there finding new deals for us to invest in. Then um, as the deal lead, I am, uh, so, so to find the new deals, it, that incorporates like the diligence and I'm leading all those efforts. Um, and then once we've decide, made the determination that we're gonna invest, I maintain the relationship with those portfolio companies and continue to help support them throughout their life cycle. Um, I then work on fund specific projects that will help us either perform better, whether it's, um, you know, things that uh, setting up a data uh, portal so that we could, you know, get some sort of advantage or figuring out how to how to find better investments, right, things of that nature. And then it's really supporting our LPs. So. Um, I think that is a, a, a big piece of it when you take money from outside parties, is figuring out how you can create um, value along with the alpha that you're driving from an investment standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. So first question here that I would like to follow up with is, uh, the first thing that you mentioned, which is finding deals to invest in, how do you find them? So, do you, do you go to conferences? Do you uh, mainly get them from your network? Where most of those deals come from?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I uh, I spent a long time curating a network um, of you know other investors, entrepreneurs, um, angel investors, folks that sit upstream to me, downstream to me. Um, You know, reading interesting blogs, meeting interesting people at conferences, it's really all the like. It's really tough to be prescriptive as to where a deal will come and you really will never know in venture where your next deal Mm -hmm. will come from. Um, But it's just, it's really good to have lots of stokes in the fire.
0: Absolutely, that's true. Um, And speaking of choosing the investment, let's talk about the beach decks. What do you think are the three must have points on the beach deck?
1: Yeah. So first of all, so I'm going to take this from a, we invest, like I told you, across a variety of different stages. Since your audience is first-time founders, let's talk about it from like the pre-seed seed seed, um, deck. So really the first deck they're ever going to build. I'm really going to want to focus on the team. You know, what's special about you guys? What have you... Uh, what experiences have you had over the course of your career that has allowed you to unearth this problem and, um, and really, you know, what attributes are are going to set you up for success in chasing down this dream? So I want to I wanna be a student of you. I want to understand um, what, your, what your motivations are. I want to understand your background um, and, and why you're so passionate about this space. So that's highly important. Um, the second piece is I, I want to understand the sizzle on the steak. So why is this incredibly exciting, um, both moment in time as well as opportunity to be chasing down this specific idea? What makes it a billion dollar idea or bigger? Um, And you know, like one of my portfolio companies that I invested in, um, they had kind of a three-phased approach. They were like, phase one is to sell interesting software. Phase two is to then um, be able to expand those services, and I won't get into the details, but then phase three is From phase one and phase two, we've unlocked this really interesting data asset that's totally unique and proprietary to us and allows us to take over the world. And so, you know, you don't need to necessarily have the roadmap to how you're going to do all of that on day one, but you need to have a plan, a logical plan in place that makes sense that an investor can follow that helps you show and delineate why doing what you're doing is going to be immensely valuable at the end of the day and create um, an opportunity for for returns for the venture team that's backing you. Um, so those, are what I would I would say, are kind of the the two key ones. And then, really for founders, um, I think it's it's having a keen understanding of the use cases and the market size. So I think sometimes um, the biggest mistake that I tend to see is that folks. Um, are chasing venture dollars for an idea that is a super valid idea, but really is better served as a lifestyle business or something that you can bootstrap and not have to raise venture dollars for mm-hmm. And suited for that because you're not going to really be able to realize the venture returns because either the market size or the use case is so specific that it's not going to really be able to unlock, um, massive funding rounds at later rounds and that's totally fine and it's it's also okay to race from angels and kind of just stay the angel path for a bit um, but those would be kind of the the big things that I'd want an entrepreneur to have thought through before they're they're coming to pitch me.
0: Right that's actually a great list uh, important advice and here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode which is a call to action. What's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over?
1: Uh, LinkedIn me. (laughs) Send me a message. Um, No, and and in all seriousness, please do that. Um, But in addition to that, I think it's really important to have Uh, to surround yourself with a board of advisors. Um, Being an entrepreneur can be a really lonely road and you're going to need mentorship. You're going to need guidance. You're going to need a shoulder to cry on and you're going to need people to celebrate with you when things go well. So it's surrounding yourself with that support network that'll ultimately allow you to weather the highs as well as the lows. Um, And, you know, I think that, um, you know, that, that that's probably one of the, the best pieces of advice that I can give and, and be relentless. You know, it, uh, to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be scrappy, You've got to show hustle. Um, I kind of say this when we're hiring at our analyst and associate levels that, I want to see somebody who's you know, knocking down the doors of the startups to try to turn over every leaf and come to the interview with something interesting and proprietary to share with us because I know if they're doing that for the interview process, they're going to do that when they're in the role. And that's the same thing that I want to see out of entrepreneurs. I want to see that hustle. I want to see that uh, tenacity. And so that would be my recommendation is, is do whatever you can to to, you know, you're going to, you're going to have the door slammed in your face a thousand times. Don't, uh, don't be, um, don't be ignorant to the advice that's being given to you. There's sometimes, you know, really good advice, but also, uh, understand that, um, everybody's going to have their spin on it. And you're the one at the end of the day who needs to believe in the vision and, and kind of be your biggest champion from day one. So don't let yourself get discouraged.
0: Absolutely. That's good advice. And, Hustling is probably the key word here, I think. Yeah. <laughs> being the underdog, being hustling uh, in the star field, it's the most important thing, I guess. So it's a good advice. Thanks a lot for that. I think that was a great episode on uh, you know, deep tech. in in true tech. I never had those. So I'm pretty sure it was really interesting for all of the listeners, even those who are not in the field. So thanks a lot for that, Caitlin. I'll definitely leave a link to your LinkedIn in the description of this episode. So please check it out, people.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Constantine.